The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini episode 86.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty gritty details that we didn't have time for in the main episode. Now, we had a lot of fun talking to my new co host, Mike Schwartz, and he's here. He's back for more. How you doing? Hey, Adam. Yes, I'm yes. very excited. I've never done a half episode. I know, and, and that's the thing. I, this has kind of been a solo show for a couple of years, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm excited to have someone to talk to over here, not feeling so lonely. Oh, I'm here for you. I'm here Thank for you. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so something has developed, though, since we talked to you last, and that is the our old buddy Rob Liefeld. He has struck again. It seems like every year Rob remembers we exist and then he decides to come after us. In this case, it had to do with the Garib Seamus interview. Now, we knew it was going to get people's attention. We knew that there were a lot of statements in there that was like new information, interesting information. Did we buy into it all? Who's to say? But Garib is giving us his word at this moment. But I wanted to share two posts that Rob put on his social media feeds everywhere, reposting our uh, our declarations. Now, one of those was just, in general, regarding the Garib Sheamus interview, just a blanket statement about his listen. I mean, again, if he took the time to watch the video or listen to it, but he says, quote, this entire interview is filled with nonsense. The image founders did not ask Garib to run image ever? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> so he is saying, okay, that didn't happen. Fine. We can take your word on that. You know, Garib says that he declined it politely. You say no. Okay, that's fine. But also he wanted to comment on a statement we made because in the interview, Garib said, I went the morning after I got the call from the Wizard Founders and I was there in the room when that iconic photo was taken, which was printed in Wizard Magazine issue nine. And I took that photo. We're like, whoa, we didn't know it was you. You know, that was exciting news. So we posted that. That's what he said. Did you know that was the case? Rob Liefeld says, this is 100% not true. More and more nonsense being shared by uninformed, easily deceived, know-nothings. <laughs> you know, I like Rob's art. I, you know, I, I have an appreciation and nostalgia for Rob. We're not trying to prove anybody wrong. We're not trying to. Uh, hey, it was you and Michael that did the interview, so you, you guys are the problems. Really. That's <laughs> no, right. All, Definitely, yeah. all, kidding, all kidding aside, us as the podcasters, we're not trying to like prove. Wow, it was Garib Shame. He said this. His memory might be wrong. He could have been a photographer. Another person could have been there. For, you know, taking photographs. It could have been multiple people. At the end of the day, I don't think, Adam, you care who did it. You just found it interesting. I mean, yeah, that that's the thing. It's like, I don't care who's right, who's wrong. I would love to know the truth. And so it's fascinating to dig through the facts, which I did create a video after Rob said that, because I said, let me start looking at some of the evidence that's been presented, because somebody posted and said, well, Todd McFarlane says it was Alex Chun. And I was like, okay, Alex Chun, they showed some contact sheets on a video at a con. But then I started looking at the photos. I'm like, none of those photos, they're very similar 
similar, but the pose is not the same as the photo that was printed in issue nine. So is there another roll of film? Or did Garib take that particular shot? But yes, Alex Chun took other shots. The photo that Todd posted to commemorate that occasion on his own blog was the one from Wizard Magazine. It wasn't one of the photos on Alex Chun's sheet that he showed us. So there's a lot of things, there's inconsistencies. However, that article is credited to Alex Chun. So if he wrote it, if he's the one who supposedly did the interview, Garib says, I interviewed them, I took the photo, but he credited it to Alex Chun. Does that mean it's all Alex Chun? Well, maybe, but the other thing I just want to throw out there is if you look at all these different photos, the image founders are looking back and forth. They're always looking in different directions. It was hard, even the one that's printed, Eric Larson is looking in a totally different direction than anybody else. So it makes you wonder, were there multiple cameras going off at the same time so they didn't know where to look? When I talk to my dad, my memories are different than his. And at the end of the day, I'm sure they were all there, right? It's just they remember it differently. But this is the funniest part to me, okay? Because Rob has his supporters. There's people who love Wizard. You know, your people are going to support yeah. which ideology they want to. That's what social media is, right? You go with like-minded people and then you all <laughs> kind of agree with each other or you just go in and tear people apart. But these are what people have commented. All too common. Facts have no meaning anymore. Sorry, Rob. Sorry, Rob. Did we attack <laughs> Rob by saying Garib Sheamus took a photo? And then this other guy coming in. If Garib had taken that, rest assured, he'd still be talking about it to this very day. He just did. That's why we're having this conversation. He was... We would love... He took the photo. <laughs> we would love to have Rob on and, and just hear his take on all everything Garib said. I don't even want to make an opinion on who's right. I don't care who's right. I just want to hear these stories I think the stories are what interest us. And it, it sucks that, you know, Rob blocked the Twitter accounts of Wizards. And because, we, I, you know, we like him and his work. I wish he wasn't so negative about everything. There's nothing to be angry about. It's comics. We're, can't we have fun? Why does everyone have to be so angry? Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did. I do want to mention one more because then people like to take shots at us, just like Rob is. They want to yeah, be- Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So somebody reposted our Twitter profile, our X profile, where we say, <laughs> We re-examined the 90s comic book boom. He says, re-examine? More like reimagine. <laughs> but what I find hilarious is that Garib is lying because Rob said it. So Rob Liefeld is the pillar of virtue and honesty. He is not. There are Kickstarter campaigns he doesn't fulfill. There are many 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 that we've reported on like ads he put in for i'm gonna publish this comic and it never comes out because the only argument i could see that they really believe everybody keeps asking too they're like wait can you tell us who took it though hey that's yeah i, I agree with you rob so who did take it like there's a ton of those comments I, and no response i know and, it, it, it's it's interesting because i've actually seen him turn on some fans like oh, recently really? like i don't know where he's coming from i don't i don't get it there, there's a lot of animosity and and built up anger there i i don't get it adam i have to admit i <laughs> i just i hope someday if i you know become a really successful writer i hope I'm, i don't get angry and lash out at people that just want to enjoy the medium <laughs> yeah well exactly we're just, we're just in it for fun i mean there's even people who commented like uh, you don't even have to worry about this, Rob. Why are you even making these comments? Why are you even posting, you know? The last bit of logic that I could see someone saying, and the only thing I think Rob could say at this point, they say, well, how do you know he didn't take the photo? I was there. I was there. <laughs> Guess what? Garib Sheamus was also, also there. there. 
we have a witness. We interviewed Hank Canals, who was Rob's buddy, who was writing Youngblood with him at the time. And he literally said, Garib Sheamus was in the room. He's the one who told me to get into the photo. He's the one who framed that photo and sent a copy to every image founder. Yeah. So Hank has said right there, like, here's a guy who was in the room doing all this. And usually the person who owns the photo is the one making copies and sending it out. I think Rob has a lot of anger towards yeah. Wizard. And I'm sure it ate away at him how much they pick on him throughout the magazine. And and I, he hasn't gotten over it. Just relax. <laughs> but also, I'll just say, I think Rob knows how to play the game. It was he probably does. a slow news week for Rob. He saw Wizard. He said, I hate Garib. Let me make a big deal about these guys. These guys have like talked nonsense. You know, all these the years on this podcast celebrating Wizard. Let me take him down. I mean, it just spreads the word. We had so many people. I didn't know there was a Wizard podcast. I'm going to listen. I'm going to subscribe. And like, I oh. love it. I hope they listen. I know anger feeds the algorithm. It, it really does. Like yeah. I, the stuff, I, all I see in my feed is angry people about well, this or that. I post one positive thing. No one looks at it. It says, you know, three views. Yeah. <laughs> So he he does he knows what he's doing. He's a marketer. He's been marketing himself brilliantly from the beginning. That's why I cannot write off Rob Liefeld. No matter how much he lashes out, I appreciate him for so much. I wish I could have the anger he has to generate some income. <laughs> he, he's an extraordinary individual yes. who entertains me to no end. We're not angry over here. It just that he would take the time to call us names is hilarious because who are we? We're people who are <laughs> having some fun. You know, we try to focus on positivity here. We're just celebrating the good times. But I just thought it was worth mentioning because is, yeah. when he comes around, he's an icon and he knows who we are for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's something, right? <laughs> Speaking of picking fights, it's time to get off this topic and kick the show off with our first segment. It's a new one. So the last man standing matchups where they would actually have an artist create Create a battle, generally speaking, that you're not going to see in the pages of a comic book, that they are going to present that in Wizard and give their opinion and the stats and why they think somebody would beat out somebody else in a battle. In this particular issue, it is Witchblade? versus the darkness and i looked at that and i said what is going on here witchblade and the darkness have already met up multiple times in top cow comics in either title at this point plus wizard was literally offering with their visa card if you got your application into them you got an exclusive witchblade versus the darkness half comic and so I have to think there was some sort of synergy there. But I looked at this and I said, this is not an imaginary battle we've been waiting for. We've already seen it. <laughs> it's a really confusing one, especially at the time. You know, I was reading Darkness when it came out. I didn't read Witchblade at all, but she would show up, you know, and there was crossovers. I have to admit, I'm very afraid to, to have an opinion on this one because last time I think I said Rogue could take on Wonder Woman and you disagreed with me. And so did everyone on Twitter. <laughs> I, and I'm like, oh, God, I I made the wrong choice. It's okay. That's what we do. You know, we do have our opinions and have, have a, a nice debate about it. I do yeah. want to mention in, in their combatants tale of the tape little box where they give the heights and the weights and all of that. Yeah. They always add a funny stat. And in this one, epidermis or witchblade, 
showing for the darkness not showing (laughs) (laughs) and it is funny to look at that comparison right which blade barely covered and jackie staccato all the way up to his nose you know is covered so (laughs) well this is why i think darkness would win you know he's got all those little minions he has and everything you could take a bite out of her so easily she has like some sort of super cop strategy powers like that that's what they keep bringing up witchblade's police training helps her regain her focus and then at the end paziti fends off the attack and does what every good cop must from time to time put the perp down and you're like oh geez they really thought she was gonna win this oh by the way Usually they get an artist who has not done this, like, character before, but they get Joe Benitez, who's actually the artist on the darkness at this moment in time, so. Yeah, I was wondering if that was made for this issue, or if it was just pulled from the comic. Yeah, I mean, it's pure promotion. I don't know if I appreciate it. I hope this changes. I mean, I know it does. Like, later on, they get really wacky with some of their battles that they imagined. But yeah, this is one of those, I'm like, "Mm, wizard, we see what you're doing here. By the way, let's just make it clear once again, we are not pro-wizard. We love to examine wizard, but we recognize they were up to some shenanigans. They were a business. They had to get, you know, that money rolling in so (laughs) and it's an excuse to talk about the comics we love that's what this podcast is and we want people to you know write into us and hopefully talk amongst themselves online about it all right well mike we're gonna move into uh, something fun we always do on these mini episodes because we want to look at what wizard was given away especially in the early days they were contest machines at this point it's starting to slow down a bit but it's time that we check out caps kooky contests Our first contest here is an art contest. DC Comics presents Wizard 1 Million. The grand prize here, one future fan favorite artist wins an original page of art from the DC 1 Million miniseries, the entire DC 1 Million four-issue miniseries, side by writer Grant Morrison and artist Val Semeeks. Semeeks? Plus every tie-in issue of DC 1 Million, which is nearly every book in the DC Universe. But that's not all. The winner also gets the super cool Superman 98 watch, a Legion ring, and a DC 1 Million t-shirt. Now first prize, two future world leaders each win the entire DC 1 Million four-issue miniseries signed by writer Grant Morrison and artist Val Shimanyamahama. Plus every tie-in issue of DC 1 Million, a Legion ring, and a DC 1 Million shirt. Finally, second prize, Five future Hall of Famers each win the entire DC 1 million four issue miniseries signed by writer Grant Morrison and artist Val Samamaha. Plus every tie in issue of DC 1 million and a DC 1 million t shirt. So, of those prizes, Mike, which is most appealing to you? Like, what would you want in your collection? The, the grand prize for sure. And I, I don't own a lot of original art. I have original art from my comic that the artist has given me. And I have one original uh, Aquaman page, but that would be so cool. Like, I, it's so expensive. I just never got into collecting it. How about yourself? I would just want every tie in issue because, like they said, there were so many. Like, literally every book in the DC universe pretty much had a 1 million issue. So, like, I've tried to pick up as many as I can, and I only have probably a quarter of them that I've found in quarter bins. Uh, yeah, anyway, th- I would just like to have them. I- I'm in it usually for the stories, not the value or collectability. So, Adam, can... I have to stop you. The reason I don't need that is I have them all in my garage. <laughs> I haven't opened them. I don't even know the premise, but I, I keep saying, I'm going to get to 1 million. I'm gonna... <laughs> 
<laughs> one of these days, right? Yeah, yeah. So I do want to mention now, how do you enter this contest? For one month, the DC Universe is being thrust into its future to issue one million, not wanting to be left out. We want a one million issue as well. Okay, maybe just a cover. What we want you to do is use your favorite futuristic DC characters to draw the cover to wizard number one million. The characters don't have to be ones that exist in the future, like the Legion, but can be future versions of any character or characters you choose. When you're done creating the future, fill out the entry form below, attach it to the back of your drawing, and send it in. So I just think that is so cool. Like the idea of, you know, creating a wizard 1 million issue because i can't wait until they print the results of this contest i don't know i might have to print out an actual entry maybe the grand prize winner and say hey this is what a, a wizard 1 million would have looked like do they ever show you who won oh yeah so well especially with these art contests That's, now yeah so the art contests are now in their drawing board section each issue. Okay. So that's how they're they're priming the pump for that. But they also have a very tiny little box in uh, every wizard news section that tells you this person won, this person won, this person won. You know, so they do give you a follow up eventually. I, I need I need to look out for that because I haven't really been paying attention to that aspect. So I'll I'll keep an eye now as we as we move forward. Speaking of which, last night I was just contacted on social media by somebody who said. I can't wait till you get to issue 87 because I was the winner of one of those contests in there. And I was like, oh, okay. Can we get them on the half? It'd be great to talk about their experience. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they'd be willing. So yeah. we'll see if we can follow up for that one. Prizes for this contest are provided by DC Comics and Val Shamanagaga, time travelers of the noblest kind. But of course, somebody else on social media also reached out and said, does anybody else remember the jokes that were in the fine print in Wizard? I told them, we talk about it every mini episode. So let's get into it here. The law of physics, it's called here for the legal text, says, quote, Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, DC Comics, their immediate families, and continuity sticklers. The storyline is going to drive you nuts. Better get the rubber room ready. <laughs> so the joke is always at the head of the the. So they, the they put print? one there, and then they usually put one in the middle, and if we're lucky, we get a third. <laughs> it says, all taxes, federal, state, and local, if any, will be the responsibility of the prize winners. Better pay those taxes now. They're only going to go up in the future. I, I'm impressed because I would have glanced over this back in the day. I also, I don't even know if Canadians could apply. So maybe that's why I, I just skimmed. <laughs> Canadians can't apply to a lot. <laughs> you're, you're saying just for the contest. The general. contest. I, well, no, I, I would definitely bypass the fine print. But I also, I think I bypassed the contest because we're, we're left out a lot of times. Well, take us into our second contest here, Mike. Get into Kabuki's mind is the second uh, contest. Okay, so the grand prize. One mind reader wins an original David Mack painted Kabuki cover, a Mack signed set of Kabuki comics, and a Kabuki t-shirt. First prize, five psychics walk away with a David Mack signed set of Kabuki comics and a cool Kabuki t-shirt. The second prize... 10 telepaths each win a cool Kabuki t-shirt in the latest issue of Kabuki, signed by David Mack. Winning this stuff is easy if you know Kabuki. The comic is filled with tons of totally deep and poetic thought boxes. We want you to write your version of one of those thought boxes, but yours must be a poem, no longer than four lines. Make it deep, insightful, funny, whatever. Just make it good. Then attach it to the entry form below and send it in. We'll choose the most creative and interesting poems as the winners. Start writing. 
I have to read these. I wish we had a stack to read. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm trying to figure out why they were doing the psychic, the telepath thing in there. Is that part of the comics? Did I miss it? It's a blind spot for me. I feel so guilty that I haven't. For me, David Mack, I, I associate him with the, his run on Daredevil more than his. Uh, you know what? I. I'm saying it here. I'm going to jump into Kabuki next week. It's official. It's happening. We'll hear from you on the next mini episode. Yes. Yeah. What would be your choice? Uh, which of these prizes? I think in this case, because his art is so beautiful and it's painted, I would want the grand prize to get the painted Kabuki cover, but not for me. I would actually gift it to my mom, who is an artist, because she would really like dig into it and like look at his like his whole process and she would break it down and learn something from it. So that's what I would do. I, I would have to go with it, but I'd be keeping it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, his art, I, I've always appreciated his Kabuki art. I, I again feel bad I haven't read his book, but yeah, his his artwork is is, is huge for me. You know, I just started watching Echo the other day as well. Too, yeah. So to me, his art is big, and you'll soon see in a few months why his art is very important to me. I'll just say that. I'll leave it at that, Adam. Okay. The uh, legal text says mind-blowing text. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, David Mack, their immediate families, and anyone who's been to a psychic who asked them his name. Wouldn't they already know it? Oh, that's a good point. They're really in on the, the psychic thing. I'm like, is this scanners or something? What, it, what is... it must have been what was going on in the comics at the time, because I've read some Kabuki, but like, I don't remember that being the main focus of the book. Uh, I think that that was it. So we got we, a one joke from the, the Kabuki contest. But yeah, there you go. Uh, interesting to see. I still think it's so strange. I was flipping through some earlier issues and man, in those like first five years, they would have like five or six contests per issue. And now it's like down to, you know, two or three, maybe if you're lucky. So it just became less a part, I guess, of their promotional strategies. But we got to talk about something here, Mike, because there is a, a listener who was kind of outraged uh, a couple months back when we had said that we did not read a Superman for All Seasons, Michael and I. We had never read it. We'd never checked it out. And he was like, how could you not? It's a seminal story. And so uh, he followed up and he said, hey, did either of you read it yet? And I said, I had just read it. And we'll review it on the mini episode. So let's get into Robin's Reading Rainbow. All right, Mike, when I brought up to you that we were going to be talking about Superman for all seasons, you're like, oh, I've got it. I'm ready to go. So what is your history with this book? Well, I was actually given it in Long Halloween from a boss of mine. I used to work at Fox Searchlight Pictures. And yeah, just one Christmas, I think she gave me both books and said, you need to read these. And I hadn't at the time. And that's my history with it. So I've always considered both to be, you know, the epitome of comics, like classics, you know, Tim Sale's artwork. It, it's Jeff Loeb. It's must read material. And so I'm a little shocked too, Adam. Maybe that commenter was me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. People might be saying, well, why haven't you read it? Did you know yeah. it existed? A hundred percent. I was aware of it all these years. The reason I did not read it, and usually this is not the case for me, if I hear it's good writing, it's a quality story, it's Tim Sale's artwork. 
I am not a fan of his Superman. In fact, The Long Halloween, it's a nice mystery. I don't really care for his art there either. And so it's it's an acquired taste in my opinion. It's not traditional comic book art. I'll give it that. And my main issue, and we'll get into the story and everything, but when I look at Superman, he looks like a big baby. Literally. <laughs> like a little chubby baby. And he's got this tiny little features. He looks like Little Face from the Dick Tracy movies. His body looks like it's like a, a Superman costume that was inflated, you know, like he stuffed balloons into his tights. I'm somewhere in the middle of, with that feeling. Like I really appreciate Tim Sale's artwork and, and I, I understand what you're saying. To me, it has, it feels like, it's like the story was written, you know, for modern times, but Jeff Loeb pulled Tim from from like the 1920s. That's yeah. the feeling I get when I see his artwork. And I have to say, my, my wife doesn't read a lot of comics, but she'll read graphic novels. And we've written a graphic novel together. And because you asked me to come on this episode, I was like, oh, I'm going to reread it again. I immediately said, you got to read this if you haven't read it. And I passed it to her and she opened it last night and was like, this artwork's awesome. So it, it really, it, it appeals to certain people. Like my artist on my book, some people hate it. I've had I've had friends who have said I cannot even look at your comics artwork. And I've had Frank quietly give us a quote saying Ishmael who does my book, his painting is some of the best painting ever. It's a lot of acquired tastes in comics. Yeah. What what I want to say is I love his layouts. I think there are some yeah, they're cool great. dynamic panels, double page spreads, oh like just beautiful stuff. Like, especially like there's this one scene where Superman, you know, I mean, this is jumping way ahead in the story. We don't need to go through every plot point. Yeah, but yeah. there's this gal named Toxin who's been brainwashed by Luther and she's poisoned the city. And then Superman has to fly around to spread the antidote and all that. And then she dies after the fact. And yeah. so there's this shot of Luther standing on top of this rainy skyscraper and there's lightning behind him. And there's rain falling down and you see just a little bit of Superman's head with the, the pitter patter of the rain popping off and the, the dripping off his curl, you know, and all that stuff. But he's just like, oh, like sad. It's just a little bit of his face. Like it's beautiful, beautiful composition. It's just the figure work specifically that upset me because I'm like, this is a great story. Ugh. And I look at it. I'm just like, no, no, don't do that. So there's a lot of controversy going around with like Frank Miller as well recently, like people saying how much they don't like Frank Miller. And there's a lot of anger towards that. So be careful what you say. I'm saying it's not for me, but it's not bad. It's yes, just, yeah, it, yeah. it gets a reaction out of me that takes me out of the story. Even just the, the figure of Superman in this Well, book. I will I will say the thing that takes me out is the writing a bit. I love Jeff Loeb's writing. Yeah, um, it takes me out a bit because it, I think it it's a bit too poetic for me. And and it's like, it really is these uh, slice of Superman's life storytelling, right? Like it's like, here it is. And it kind of adds up to one thing. I'm just not that into it because I, I, need, I need things to like, like to me, my favorite part is with Toxin, how manipulative Lex Luthor is and stuff. But he really just spends so much time with those inner monologues that it feels like, oh my God, you just want to listen to yourself and your beautiful writing, which it is beautiful writing. It could be my insecurity, Adam, that I, I will never be a, as good of a writer as Jeff Loeb. But it gets to me because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to hear these inner monologues. Tell me the story. And when we get those pieces of these really cool moments and like manipulating Superman, it's so cool but then it just winds up being a poetic piece i get kind of see because like i said like to me the writing is great like i i love how each issue is from a different character's it's perspective me. Yeah. You got the Lois issue, you got the Lex issue, you know, you got you got all that going on and so it's really interesting to take that in i love the repetition 
of Clark, yeah. like starting in Smallville, then he comes back to Smallville at a certain point, like a, a couple times. And it's different each time how his his small little world has changed now that he's gone to the big city. And But he thought, oh, I can return to the way things were a simpler time. And no, even Smallville is changing. And so like there, there's some great little like nuances in there with that. Uh, but I also, speaking of Frank Miller, like this, I this is probably not a new opinion, but this feels like the equivalent of Dark Knight Returns for Superman now that I finally read it. But Superman's more pure in this. Like, I, I don't understand Frank Miller's Superman when I read his, his book. But with this one, it's just, it, I think I think James Gunn is using this book, right, as as inspiration for his is next this Superman This one or is movie. it All-Star Superman? It's, it's a mixture. He's using okay. this, All-Star Superman, and and I'm sure a couple others. I'm, I think Up in the Sky by Tom King he's using inspiration from. So I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm more, a Teen Wolf Jeff Loeb writer. I'm more into that that Jeff Loeb <laughs> and a lot of his like he did Batman Superman that series for a while in the early 2000s. That's the Jeff Loeb I like. This is really a poetic one and and really it is a master. Like this is him. This clearly shows he's a master with the written word and it's my insecurity, Adam. It, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> it's great that you have the self awareness to admit it. And, and I'll just say like it, it's diametrically opposed to frank miller's the dark knight returns but that's the point like in our this last issue kevin smith says you cannot do a superman story like you do a batman story they're different characters and that's what i love about it it embraces everything that superman is it just amps that up and whether you like it you don't like it i'm not a huge superman fan but i recognize the essence that is in this story and so it was worth the wait yeah, I want to bring up one thing about that is the one one aspect I really liked when it came to uh, Lex Luthor is he has those like the Lex Corps or I forget what he, they call them. Yes. I just read it. I've already forgotten. The robots. Uh, yeah, the robots. So there's something similar to that happening, I think, in the new Superman. I read a few issues, so my memory may not be as clear. It was a few months ago. The new series that's currently on, they do something similar. And I do wonder if they're borrowing a bit from this story. I'm sure someone that's currently reading it and who's listening might know better, but I, I love that aspect. I think the, the designs of like they're using those suits. Superpowers, so cool. action figure suit, which is yes. just an iconic. I loved it. I, lo- I love it too. I love that they used it in it. So I, I there's so much to like about it. That's my opinion. I, I still give it four to five. I just find it gets a bit poetic-y and that stuff we all know now. I'm an insecure person. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. Hey, maybe Jeff Loeb will bring you on sometime, be a mentor. I need it. I need it. All right. Well, hey, those are our opinions on a comic book, you know, that one of us was familiar with, one of us was checking out for the first time. But let's go back to 1998. Let's see what Wizard had to say about the current crop of comics in Report Card. never know where they're going to go with their opinions on this stuff. I'm always so interested to read. Uh, at this point, they tell us it was Brian Cunningham, Doug Goldstein, and Mike Searle who were doing these reviews. So this first one here is Captain America. Now, this was the big deal that Mark Wade was coming back, right? Ron Garney was drawing it for a while, and then Andy Kubert came back, and now he was drawing it. And so they're reviewing issues one through eight, and they say... Captain America, capital offense, huh? Well, let's see what they have to say about this. Well, 
they're going to give us the, what you need to know. We know the Captain America story. Let's get into what they say is the good. The setups have been promising. A shape-shifting scroll replacing the head of crime group Hydra and later doubling his cap with real cap as his captive definitely caught our attention. The recent live Cree or die storyline with a modern day concentration camp was certainly powerful, especially when Cap found it and beat up that Cree guard. Unfortunately, they're already too the bad. Too many scenes are unbelievably cheeseball. Issue number two had a dozen over-the-top references to the bond Cap has with his shield, so predictably he loses his shield at the bottom of the ocean at the end of the issue. In issue number six, it's preposterous that the entire nation riots after the Cap imposter tells them scrolls have invaded America, or after Cap ends his imposter charade in Cap number seven, he gives some cornball speech we've all heard a billion times about what his role in America is, and then the issue ends with the scene we've only seen a zillion times cap atop the statue of liberty at sunset renewing his patriotic spirit groan if the plots are a little shaky so is the characterization sometimes cap's portrayal is on the money the aforementioned kree guard slugfest and cap's interaction with hawkeye number three were fun but these moments are a few cap should be a no-nonsense good guy not a terse angry fighter with an attitude problem as he is portrayed while fighting hydra in issues four and five and would Cap really be dopey enough to test a new shield in the hallways of Avengers Mansion where it causes some property damage? Don't the Avengers have a training room for that? And a side note, Tony Stark has already designed a good duplicate of Cap's shield years ago when Cap was called the Captain. Why did this new shield go wrong? Then there's the supporting cast, or lack thereof. There really isn't any in Cap. We have some subplots around Sharon Carter and the Red Skull. However, Sharon's a one-dimensional psycho militant whose subplot doesn't <laughs> even conclude in the pages of Captain America. But in her own miniseries. Lame. The buzz. Aside from gaining a spin-off series Sentinel of Liberty, Cap just got a new shield in Cap number nine. The issue also kicks off a storyline concentrating on Steve Rogers, which could be a good sign for characterization. The skinny, admittedly, Captain America's relaunch came with unfair expectations of top-notch drama and high-octane action. Even still, the book disappointed us with cliches, overblown scenes, and inconsistent characterization. We're still waiting for the real Cap to show up. The grade, a C minus. Ouch. Thoughts, Mike? When you hear their review here, their criticisms, which are many, which stands out to you most? Uh, I'm regretting buying 1 through 18, I think, of this series recently from the 50 cent bin. I think last summer I grabbed... <laughs> That's my first reaction, Adam. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I To me, this era of Marvel, I just could never get into. So I, I'm sure they're right. I've read these issues. So I, oh, I okay. went through eight when it was being promoted in the magazine. Not in 98, by the way. I was reading them while we were covering them for the show. Oh, you did. See, okay, I didn't. I have not. I should have pulled them out. I did not. But either way, like what I find is Mark Wade came into this to explore cap the icon to explore cap the guy who is going to you know stand for something for his nation for truth justice in the american way in this case as he perceives it and what that means to the world like when they said can't believe that there was a huge you know riot and it was even the whole focus of secret invasion right now the scrolls are among us oh everybody's freaking out so like this is all well studied history that mark wade is just putting into a comic and even you know looking forward so I think that they wanted something 
I don't know what they were imagining they were getting, because what they described there sounds to me like they wanted Heroes Reborn Captain America back. And I know that's not the case, you know? <laughs> they wanted high-octane action, top-notch drama. I mean, that was basically what Rob Liefeld was delivering with was his giving, Captain America. What, so what would you give this a rating of? I would give it a B. Because nothing was like super duper memorable, I would say. Like it's team ups, like, oh, Thor's in this issue. Miss Marvel, when she was Warbird, is in this. You know, like, so there's a lot of teaming up and things like that. But yeah, I I can't say like, oh, but you got to read this issue because this is a great one. The whole reason I picked it up was I love Mark Wade's run on The Flash. All right, why don't you take us into this next one here? Okay, I'm going to let you review it though, because again, this the next two I don't have any clue about. Okay. Hitman, this is the target. What you need to know. After surviving a counter with extraterrestrial parasites, Tommy Monahan, is that how you pronounce it? Monahan? <laughs> develops x-ray vision and mind reading superpowers. Unknown to the world at large, he uses these powers to aid in his line of work, that of a mercenary hitman. What's interesting is they're they're reviewing 21 to 28. They're giving you a primer on him here, which is great for me because I didn't even know that. I'm like, what? <laughs> but to be clear, like, they have been like promoting Hitman all over the place. Oh, They're always wow. dropping about how much they love it. They did a casting call in the, the issue. Yeah. Okay, so the good. Hitman is a genuinely funny book. From slapstick to witty dialogue, the situations and characters in Hitman are hilarious. In issue 21, while sneaking out of the fire escape to avoid his girlfriend's parents, Monahan ends up falling through a window and into an in-progress drug deal. His reputation preceding him. The dealers think Monahan's there to kill them, and though he tries to convince them otherwise, chaos ensues when another dealer startles everyone by kicking open the front door with a bunch of McDonald's bags in his arms. Taking a novel approach... Issue 22's Christmas Story has Monaghan tracking down a chemically powered abomination dressed in a Santa costume. The whole story told in Dr. Zeus-like rhyme. That Christmas issue is like top-tier Christmas cover material. Everyone should Great. seek that yeah. out. I, I'm not, I don't even care about reading it. That cover is amazing. <laughs> While all this is going on, the cast of characters Monaghan visits in his local bar from the zany creature who only says I am Bator to Monaghan's best friend Nat and his wise-ass commentaries keeps readers rolling on the floor. Despite being a hired killer, main character Tommy Monaghan is likable and sympathetic. You feel for this guy as he struggles with his conscience and tries only to kill those who deserve it. Amid sincere dialogue and solid character interaction, a lot of thought-provoking questions about morality are asked. Monaghan only kills bad guys, but how do you define good? And can a former police officer date a guy who kills people for a living? All right, that's the good. You want me to read the bad? Go for it. The bad. It's too much of a struggle to find out who these great characters are. A question as simple as who is everybody is never answered. New readers will be lost as they encounter key characters without explanation, including Monaghan's friends, mafia guys, British commandos, many of whom are drawn confusingly similar to each other, and exactly what are Monaghan's powers. You wouldn't know from the issues we read since they're non-existent, save for the one time Monaghan uses them to probe into a dying killer's mind in issue 25. Part of the lack of clarity stems from the fact that half the time Hitman suffers from too much action and not enough dialogue. The other half, it's just the opposite. Amazingly enough, in spite of major action scenes straight out of some Hollywood flick, the book's pacing is real slow in spots. The Who Dares Wins five-parter rambled on and could have been condensed to three issues. 
Between adventures, Monahan, Nat hang out in a bar and hang out in a bar and hang out. Well, you get the idea. Adam, I swear sometimes, like what Wizard is saying, you could take this and apply it to new comics, except we're paying $5 a book. So whatever was going on in the 90s is still a problem today. And I wonder if it's just the amount of stuff that's being published and filling pages, right? Even for a writer, I, I don't know how some writers take on six or seven books a month. To me, I'm like, it should be three max. Anyways, the buzz. Hitman has hot writer Garth Ennis in his favor. Check comic book stores for the two Hitman trade paperback. The skinny. Hitman's a fun read with a cool main character, but with slow pacing and a lack of basic character introduction, it shoots itself in the foot. So they give it a C plus. Wow, a C plus. It's how, they had a lot of good. I don't know. There was a lot of stuff. I know that because like all they said was, well, they don't really like allow new readers an entry point. But otherwise they're saying like, it's a fun book. It's a great book, which I agree. I, I was reading these issues. And like you said, they're the Christmas issue you haven't read yet, but that is very fun. It's done like almost like the night before Christmas, Christmas. type story about this guy killing people. And then, you know, because he got you know mutated in an accident. But then like this whole thing about him getting to, together with this ex-cop girl like it's a great story like like you really do care about the characters in a big way and as somebody like I, I've read a fair amount of Hitman just because I find the characters so engaging I don't need to know you know everybody's backstory I don't need to understand every time they show up well this person does this or have the page at the beginning of the book like oh well this guy is friends with them because of this and blah 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 it's like no if they're entertaining in this type of book which is just madcap mayhem for the most part and then slows down every once in a while for some nice like character moments between friends or future lovers or whatever like this series is solid it is top to bottom just kind of always the same but that's fine by me because i always get a laugh out of it it's weird because this you know i like i said this isn't one that i've read the c plus doesn't deter me they in some ways they make me want to read it it's really bizarre yeah. <laughs> review decide for yourself right yeah all right. So next up here, though, we have The Invisibles. And this is a book. I remember these iconic covers. I mean, there's just something about this art that always stood out to me. Brian Boland. It's Brian yeah, Boland. Brian, Brian Boland yeah. covers. Yeah. So The Invisibles, a trippy X-Files, but better. Issues 1 through 17 are reviewed here. And this is obviously by Grant Morrison, Phil Jimenez, and a bunch of other artists that filled in here and there. But they say what you need to know. Every paranoid conspiracy theory you've ever heard is true. As ultra-dimensional entities control all governments via their earthly agents, fighting for the freedom of humanity is the vast invisible army. The book stars include King Mob, Ragged Robin, Lord Fanny, Jack Frost, and Boy. Oh, and the world ends on December 22nd, 2012. Hey, we survived that one. Oh, but it looks like he was looking at the Mayan calendar with the 2012, right? Remember we got the movie and everything? Yeah. So, the good. Invisibles makes the X-Files look tame. Each page of Invisibles barrages readers with mind-blowing concepts that are all wrapped inside twisted, paranoid conspiracies. One examples? Audio viruses exist. To catch them, all you gotta do is hear a particular sound. The United States has hidden concentration camps. The school system is designed to groom children for 9-5 to five weekday labor. The AIDS outbreak was planned by a government faction that also has a hidden cure. The characters themselves are diverse and eccentric. Their dialogue is sharp as attack, with each voice distinct. 
What isn't clear sometimes is who is a good guy in the Invisible Army and who's a bad guy. And those mind games add to the book's paranoid conspiracy angle. Invisible's foreshadowing and cliffhangers force you to find out what happens next. Thanks to selective time jumping, you can actually see a few future events and betrayals coming. Many issues ended cliffhangers. We especially liked issue number 11's close where a brainwashed boy is about to put a bullet in a captured King Mob's head. So... That's what they're saying is good about it. Lots of conspiracy stuff. It's wacky. It's out there. Adam, it just sounds like X or Twitter. Yeah, this is is modern day. We just live amongst the people telling us about this all the time. Yeah, the bad. Sometimes the book gets way too weird. In issue number six, King Mob and Ragged Robin avoid being killed by mind traveling outside of reality. In number eight, King Mob somehow time travels psychically to the 1920s and there's bizarre drug trips every now and then. All these bits stray from the cool conspiracy stuff too much. And even with the conspiracy stuff, there's usually so many things going on that little or none of it gets explained at all. There are no story recaps. In fact, we were originally going to review issues 11 through 17, but we're so lost that we had to go back to issue one to understand anything. Characters' abilities aren't explained. For example, how is Fanny suddenly psychic when he puts on his short-haired wig? Characters pop up for cameos that we've never seen before. Is the pantsless Englishman in number 14 for Invisibles Volume 1? This book is not for the casual reader. The Buzz. Invisibles Volume 2 is set to end with November's number 21. Look for Volume 3 in 99, which will conclude the trilogy. The Skinny. Filled with wild ideas, this book is a total mind trip. So much so that it's sometimes hard to follow, but not as much as it's reputed. Even though you gotta start with issue number one of this volume, give it a chance. You won't be disappointed. The Grade. A B+. I, this is like a frustrating review because it's like there should be nothing wrong with starting with issue. Why Why are they making? I don't understand. Well, and I think the reason is, is this was like not a reboot, but a continuation a few years later. Yeah, You know, Grant Morrison made a decision. I, this is for the readers of the previous book, not for the readers. That's just a choice he has to make. You know, I picked up the latest X-Men. I had no freaking idea what was going on. Or uh, there's a new Ultimate Spider-Man. I picked that up. And I had no idea what this new universe is, but man, did I love it. I wish that was the case for me because I was the same thing. I started on this volume. Oh, you did? And so I looked at it and I'm just like, wow, they, yeah, it's picking up. I have no idea. So I went back to the first issue and the last issue of the original series. And I'm like, okay, I sort of see what's going on here, but I really don't. And then I started (laughs) reading this and I'm just like, this is so out there. Like it's it's so, I don't want to say counterculture because it sounds too old fashioned, but it is. It's kind of like, let's go against the norm. Let's get all these, you know, different types of people together and they're, we're fighting against an invasion that nobody else sees and understanding all that. But it's just curse words and extreme violence. And like they're saying, there are these trippy interludes where it looks like you're on an acid trip for like four or five pages. And I'm just like, I don't know what you're saying with this. What are you trying to tell me? What's me to expand my mind or whatever. I couldn't get into it because it was angry and it was like kind of like trying to make me feel bad about the world. Whereas Hitman, which has violence which has like all this nonsense is like neutered a little bit where you know it's like because it's in the main dc universe continuity whereas here they're letting him just put as many f words as he wants and whatever and so like i was like hitman is an enjoyable cartoony violence and mayhem this one is just out of control i cannot follow grant morrison's thought process i i actually have trouble with him sometimes i i find i i I get lost really easily so that tracks i do want to say this though i went to look up on the wikipedia 
Wikipedia page because I wanted to understand, like, what was he trying to do with this? And it says here, The Invisibles was Morrison's first major creator-owned title for DC Comics. Their intent was to create a hyper-sigil to jumpstart the culture in a more positive direction. Not based on how you're writing. The title initially sold well, but sales dipped sharply during the first series, leading to concerns that the series might be cancelled. To counteract this, Morrison suggested a wankathon in the hope of bringing about a magical increase in sales by a massive fan simultaneously masturbating at a set time. You're kidding me. This is his thought process as he's writing this book. We're going to change the world if we do this together. And I'm just like, I had heard that Grant Morrison kind of has expanded his mind in directions we can't comprehend. And there's so much more in this article where it just talks about like, he got sick. He believed that a lot of the story came to him through alien interaction. These extraterrestrials beamed it into his brain. Like, I'm just like, okay, so that's why I can't follow this. Cause he's just like, I'm getting all this information. I'm going to put it in a story. And you're just like, all right, man, that's where, that's where you were at when this story was happening. <laughs> wow. Uh, what What is he doing now? <laughs> I, I still comes in every once in a while they hire him and uh you know they he, he can still do a straight batman oh yeah he did the green lantern he did green oh. lantern recently and it was really wacky i dropped off pretty quick so yeah so it's it's just wild to finally get into that book and be like okay it was as crazy as i thought it was going to be because i also tried there was the invisibles it's the one with spider jerusalem what's that a oh, transmetropolitan oh tra- uh, that i i was lucky enough to find the first issue which is a hard one to find i found it just in a thrift store and that one's weird as well. Yeah, and I don't we'll think it's like I, we've talked about it on the show before. We were just uh, you know discussing DC One Million with that contest. I tried reading DC One Million. I'm just like, nope. Like yeah. the one shots by different writers were good, but his stuff, I'm just like, I, I can't follow you on this, Grant. Sorry. He has a, he has a strong following though, right? He's oh, had a great him. career. I think yeah, that JLA run where he really was like bare bones, meat and potatoes. That was how I got DC. That that attracted me to DC was that run. And then when he did Batman, uh, I liked that Batman stuff as well. So, you know, it's hit or miss for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, sometimes people left to their own devices, given free reign, the carte blanche. It's not for everybody, but that's what's going on in their head. That's what makes them able to write the other stories you love. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say the last review here is of Thunderbolts, which is another, like they've been praising it. Kurt B- was voted the best writer of 1998 and Thunderbolts uh, was given the best moment, most shocking moment of 1998 when it was revealed they were all villains and all of that. But they basically are not enjoying the story anymore, unfortunately, it seems. (laughs) Here's what they say in, in the bad part. I'll just read the last paragraph. Overall, the book also seems too simplistic. Sometimes the characters and events are so cleanly defined that there is no depth to the book. Jolt is the youthful idealist who never changes. Atlas is the eternal fall follower and Moonstone's the manipulator. Plus, the plots come across as silly. Fixer dies and downloads himself into a robotic body? It turns out there's a real Citizen V? Just as the T-Bolts are given, giving themselves up in issue number 12, they're teleported to another dimension. The buzz, the Thunderbolts are due to finally duke it out with the popular Avengers this fall in Thunderbolts number 22 and Avengers 12. The Skinny, a fascinating book with an interesting concept, has become a very dull book now <laughs> that the concept has run its course. We hope there will be more to it soon or else we won't even care about that Avengers brawl. The grade B minus. I'm going to bring it full circle here and say now you, you understand why Lifefield has such rage towards Wizard. They can turn on you like that. <laughs> it's true. I mean that they were they were very opinionated in this era and I'll just yeah. say they love the twist and then they're like but there's no more twists? 
that, 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 that we knew in issue one they were bad guys what else now mike when we just did a haul video recently on youtube you held up some dark avengers books yeah. that you grabbed, which is the evolution of thunderbolts yeah which yeah. i haven't read yet it's on my to-do list yeah so get ready for some fun with those because that's i feel like that's like the best concept like there was the twist and now it's like yeah you know what's going on but it's it's the machinations between everybody involved on that dark avengers team that's really uh makes it something special so all right well let's get out of talking comics and let's get into talking losers that's right it's time to check out our mort of the month So, Mike, why don't you uh, introduce this month's Mort? Oh, my God. That's my reaction. Okay, let me, <laughs> let me, Senor Mirte? How do you, how would you say Muerte. that? Muerte. Ay, ay, ay. Es Senor Muerte. Un Mort. I should not read this. I'm Canadian. I'm, I'm French. I'll, I'll do it. Ay, ay, ay. Do it. <laughs> es Senor Muerte. Un Mort muy, muy macho. Raymond Garcia was an illegal casino owner who just happened to have a dorky red costume in his closet that could toss 10,000 volts of electricity at someone. So, like any good hood, he went around trying to brain fry rival gambling kingpins and take over their operation. This ran him up against Luke Cage, Marvel's hero for hire, Sweet Christmas, and in true Mort fashion, Morte's suit backfired and he charbroiled himself. And just in case you flunked Spanish in high school, Senor Muerte means Mr. Death. Good thing this loser lived up to his name. Okay, I've never heard of this Senior Muerte before of you, Adam. I know, I, I don't, like, you look at the costume, it almost kind of looks, like, similar to maybe, like, Solar, except he has yeah. no hood, he has no mask on. It's just a red jumpsuit, yellow gloves, and some, like, little electricity, uh, you know, gauge. I mean, he, he's basically got the Iron Man miniature <laughs> arc reactor. In the arc reactor, yes. Uh, so, yeah, so Senor Muerte, I, I have to admit, I've not read a ton of later Luke Cage comics because I'm assuming this was like somewhere 90s, in the middle yeah. of the run at some point. But yeah, if he has been redeemed, you have to let us know. Is, uh, is Mr. Death running around somewhere in the Marvel Universe now and really making an impact? Is he going to be on some Disney Plus series in the future? <laughs> uh, as we close out here, I did want to do something. We said farewell to Turok's Top 10 on the main episodes. We decided that we're doing the CBIQ quiz competition now, which we're going to have a lot of fun with. But we said it was because they were super offensive and we didn't want to read the jokes anymore but this one in particular that they closed out on an issue 86 ends up being one of the most tame i feel like so i thought it was worth saying goodbye to turok's top 10 in style on this mini episode with the top 10 rejected plots to end the spidey saga
So just keep in mind, this is like kind of a time where they were saying Spider-Man's going to end, that John Byrne is doing the Spider-Man chapter one stories, and then they're going to kind of reboot Spider-Man and give you a new idea. So they're saying, how are they going to end it, though? What's that final issue going to be? So here's some of their ideas. Number 10, score with supermodel wife or fight crime. Hmm, the end. I don't, I, I don't, what does that even mean? They're saying, I could just stay home with my hot wife. Why am I going to go out and fight crime? So that's <laughs> finally, all he's doing. Finally connected for Peter. Okay. <laughs> Number nine, Spidey enjoys a hearty lunch at the beach with his amazing friends, Firestar and Iceman. Doesn't wait the recommended hour before going swimming, gets cramps, drowns. Number eight, John Burns' massive ego momentarily loses its balance, teeters for a few seconds, then falls and crushes Spider-Man. <laughs> getting meta here. Oh. Number seven, Trash Can Man drives a nuke into Peter's apartment and the whole thing goes bluey. So Trash Can Man, this, is this Trash Can Man from The Stand from Stephen King? Isn't there, didn't Matt Frewer play Trash Can Man? Or is this an actual character in, Mar in the Marvel Universe I don't know about? Ravage, 2099? <laughs> I'm looking it up. I see nothing about Trash Can Man. Yeah, what is that? The only thing that comes up is that the famous issue of Spidey where he has his costume in the, the trash. Yeah. <laughs> Number six, Spider-Man goes to France and the country immediately surrenders. A puppet regime is set up with the fabulous Frogman in charge. Hey, that's like the ending of Batman The Dark Knight Rises. He ends in France. <laughs> there you go. Every superhero is going to go to France. By the end. Yes. Sorry. Every Marvel The End book that they were yes. just final page in France. France. Number five, he's thrown down a smokestack, never to return. Well, maybe not. Never. Uh? Oh, God. Number four, Professor X goes crazy and Spidey dies trying to stop him. Nah, who'd buy that? <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Uncle Ben revealed to be alive. Peter realizes he no longer has any responsibility, buys an N64 and retires. <laughs> hey, you gotta read the new Ultimate Spider-Man by Jonathan Hickman. He does a little something like this. Number two, Spidey's killed on the Brooklyn Bridge, but back at Madison Square Garden, a new Spidey breaks out of an egg and, ah, forget it. Nobody will like this crap. Do you get that one? Do you get that reference? <laughs> that is a reference to the 1998 Godzilla film with Matthew Broderick. Oh my God. I don't know the film well enough. Oh yeah. Are that, you a huge fan? Climax is all the little baby Godzillas. Okay. That were, you know, the eggs were laid at Madison Square Garden. So I, I, I don't even remember the movie. Are you a fan of it, Adam? Are you? I'm not a fan, but I have okay. a fascination with it because okay. I'm here opening night to see it. So uh, <laughs> number one, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee return for final issue. Peter enters wheat cake eating contest. Fletch Thompson calls him a wallflower. And Gwen Stacy's animated corpse returns with a flamethrower strapped to her back ends with a big dance number stands crazy okay <laughs> I, I would love that that's my choice number one but anyway this is fun mike thanks so much for joining me for the half episode i mean this could be whatever you want it to be these are some of the segments we've been doing traditionally but there's so many other parts of the magazine we don't cover so if we okay. don't get to it make sure you make a note let me know and we'll talk we'll talk about it on the half sounds episode. good this will be fun in the meantime as for what's coming up on the next episode that's why you stay tuned to the end right our guest for episode 87 is going to be jay ryan from the purple 
Stuff Podcast and SludgeCentral.com. Many of you who are subscribed to the Retro Network and run in those circles, you know who he is. Those of you who don't, you're going to have some fun. Mike, I'm apologizing in advance because we're going to be talking a lot about Kiss because this issue has some Kiss in it. You know what? It'll be good to hear from a non-Kiss fan, I think. Yeah. For those that don't like Kiss or don't know Kiss... That'll be me. I, you know, I just don't, I more don't know it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. I just, I just, I'm not familiar with the band. It'll be fun to explore. I've started reading it. So we'll have a lot to discuss. Definitely. And I got to say, I realized my faux pas in that I I had had Jay in mind for a very long time to come on this for this episode, because I know he's a Kiss fan and he's read comics and things like that. But I should have gotten Joe Casey to come back. I just interviewed Joe Casey and a big chunk in the middle of our interview, we were talking about Kiss and I'm challenging him to trivia contest he might have come in for this issue and uh, given us some insight but we'll see i gotta say it's also the halloween issue and so the costume contest is in there there's a lot of halloween themed like gags and jokes so you're a big halloween guy jay is a huge halloween guy we're gonna have a lot of fun adam i think we need to restart the podcast so that the halloween issues line up with halloween time I know it's hard. Right? It's hard. I, I put in all these specials. Like, are we going to have a whole month where we just do the special issues? Is that what we have to do? So we keep everything on track? I don't know. But either way, uh, here we go. Uh, make sure that you are following us on social media if you want to find out what Rob Liefeld thinks of us. Otherwise, you can just get updates on the show and uh, what's to come, scans from the issue. You can find us at Wizards Comics on all the platforms, except if you want to go on Instagram, it's at Wizards underscore comics. Of course, you could also. So do a little bit extra, go to the YouTube channel where Mike and I are doing haul videos. There's all manner of new video content that's going to be coming up for the new year, including our comic card crazy series where I'm opening up vintage packs of superhero trading cards, starting with the first four series of the Marvel Universe. You know, we all love them. So go out there, get subscribed. So you find out when the next video pops up. Speaking of subscribing, patreon.com forward slash wizards comics. Five bucks a month, you're getting full scans of the issues. We just created an archive, so it's easier to find those for people. Uh, But also you're getting our bonus 90s Super Cinema conversation where we just talked about The Shadow, and there's a new episode coming up here in February. Uh, Also, you can look forward to exclusive videos. Like, I just shared my entire The Shadow collection on there for people that wanted to see what I have been uh, collecting all these years since 94. But uh, every time we find a little something extra to throw at Patreon, they're getting the updates first, though. And and I even, in this uncut version that'll be available on Patreon, I reveal an an exclusive about an artist that's joining my comic. So yeah, I I think there's a lot of extra good stuff on there. Yeah, so something to look forward to. But hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.